Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Sean, it's Matt. How are you? Hi, good. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing very well. I've just finished your book. I'm looking at it as we speak. And ah. I know it's been out a while, but I just wanted to say, uh, you know, delayed congratulations. It is one of the <laughs> most visually and kind of structurally well put together music books I've had the, the joy of reading in a long time. And I read a lot of them wow. because I, I do a lot of, you know, research for these kind of conversations. They usually involve <laughs> reading the books if they're out. And yours yeah. yours is kind of this perfect hybrid of a coffee table book and like a photography book and then a music biography as well. I loved it. Wow, thank you. That's a, quite a compliment coming from you. <laughs> I'm sure you do read a lot of these. Um, yeah, I really had fun putting this together. It was I really was just putting together all the photos I took, you know, during the, you know, the whole <laughs> beginning to end of White Zombie. And I was sharing it with friends and they're like, you need to put this out as a book, you know. And uh, luckily my dad was a writer. So I contacted his agent and um, she 
was going to, you know, she's a literary agent. My dad was a Hemingway scholar. So I was like, I know this isn't your field, but, <laughs> you know, my friends keep saying this to be a book. And she's like, actually, I want to represent you. So she got me a, a nice book deal. And, and uh, they they were the ones that were like, you need to write. They can't, can't just be photos. <laughs> you know? so I would just look at the photos and kind of like conjure up memories. And, and yeah, it kind of became this whole book of ephemera and whatever I'd collected, you know, <laughs> and uh, whatever I saw on that page I wrote about. So it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was fun going back and uh, remembering all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad, glad you, you enjoyed it. <laughs> you're an archivist, aren't you? Like myself, but you know, you've obviously seen and done a hell of a lot more and it seems like you've kept nearly everything along the way and it's it's so cool to see all that stuff because in this day and age of pdfs and mp3s you know like i used to collect everything but it's been so long now since i've been sent a record even a record you know it's like here's the download you're like okay cool i get the music but nothing physical or tangible to hold um and you've obviously pretty much since day one documented and collected like everything right yeah, yeah, it seems that way. I just, um, I, I, it's amazing that I was able to keep all this stuff because we were basically homeless in, in a van for years. So I, you know, it kind of bounced around from like my sister's house to, you know, wherever we, you know, when we all left New York, we drove straight down to North Carolina. Uh, we were, sorry, we were moving to LA right before the Geffen record came out. And, uh, it was like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, we just packed up the van and, like went on drove across country and kept playing staying at you know places like where we had family and friends until we got to LA but yeah I dropped off all my stuff with my sister and then like when we left LA I put everything in the storage unit you know to go on a two two year long tour and uh you know somehow all these years later I ended up in New Orleans and got that stuff shipped to me and luckily have a huge closet I call the vault <laughs> got air conditioning somehow and uh, I've kept all that stuff in there for years, so I've just kind of been digging it out slowly but surely. Yeah, I've been enjoying watching, you know, the the posters and T-shirts and various pieces of White Zombie, you know, kind of <laughs> oh, thank you. architecture That's been really fun. that you've been sharing yeah. over this pandemic <laughs> year. And, you know, it's been obviously a crazy and strange time for so many reasons. But during this time, I've really looked to social media and tried to see the positives and, and the good side of it. And you're one of those people for me, and I'm sure it's been this way for a lot of other people who follow you on there, that it's there's always like joy and light and good stuff coming from your corner. Uh, and it's oh. it's been a valuable distraction from some of the more depressing uh, news and events of the last 12 months, for sure. Yeah, I think you're, you know we all read the news every day, so I don't need to kind of reiterate that, but I, I, you know, I do keep busy and I've got a lot of different distractions that keep me busy. And, uh, I, yeah, I just kind of like to post, post things that make me happy, (laughs) things that I'm working on and, you know, um, it's not rocket science, is it? I'm the same. It's like (laughs) what you send out into the world is very much what you get back. Um, and, and moaning about things and, you know, complaining and, and honing in on the negative, whilst it might be good to get that off your chest in the moment for a moment. After that, it kind of just, I think, encourages and, and, and nurtures negative stuff around you. And I'm all about the opposite of that. Mm, me too. Yeah, that's, 
That's great. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, you know, definitely, definitely feel the same way. And I, it's, you know, it's, it's just fun kind of going through things and finding things I might, I think other people might find interesting in my house or, you know, yeah. in, the, in the storage closet or, <laughs> you know, we're, as long as we're stuck at home, let's see what we got here. <laughs> so thankfully you didn't lose too much in the, you know, horrible disaster that was Katrina. Cause I presume you were in new Orleans for that. Oh yeah. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah. When the band broke up and, uh, basically 96, 97, um, I, I came straight here and rented a place. I had fallen in love with it on tours and uh, I just rented a place for a year and kind of looked around and, and then found like definitely the house of my dreams, you know, and bought it and moved in. And so I've been here a long time. And uh, when Katrina hit, um, yeah, this, this house is, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's like 1880s, you know, um, Greek revival. It's been around forever, you know, stood through a few hurricanes. So it, it did all right, except for um, the a lot of we, we all had roof damage. A lot of the roof got torn off, and um, so there was damage up in my studio, and that's also where the the huge storage closet is up on the third floor. And I uh, luckily everything I had stored in there, that the the roof was fine there. It was just like more in the studio part. So I, you know, all all that stuff just stayed fine you know <laughs> getting the took, took about a year to get the roof rebuilt i remember it was still raining in the house occasionally on and off for a year but uh you know we we all came back and uh got got things going again and you know we've taken quite a hit with covid too with uh you know everything here is kind of based around music so there's you know lots of musicians and bands and nightclubs and bars and you know that's a lot of people have had to shut down for good and it's it's been rough but i, I think you know things are bouncing back now and I, I think a lot of people are gonna get reopened and back on their feet yeah well if if new orleans can come out of katrina and and you know continue to thrive and retain its spirit and and you know character then a little thing like covid19 is not going to stop it is it what an amazing place i've never i've never been my we have a very kind of both uh, both of us have a good mutual friend in mr david catching and, uh, yes, I actually saw you and interviewed him and listened a little bit to that. It was nice. <laughs> yeah, he's just the sweetest Dave. man, isn't he? He's so good. Right? Yeah, I've, I've known him since the 90s, man. Yeah, and uh, we when we took Caius on tour with us um, back in the 90s, he was on tour with them, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's great, you know, and I've known him for a little bit around town, and, and we got to really get to know him on tour, and uh, I was like, what does he what does he do? Like, is he a roadie or a driver? And, and uh, they're like, oh, no, he's our mixologist. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he would, like, have whipped up all these, like, frozen margaritas and crazy concoctions and stuff and, and uh, waiting outside of, like, Caius's. Caius had this, um, instead of, like, a, a van or a bus, they had, like, a, uh, what are they, um, like, a motorhome thing that where the roof would open up and they'd, they had, like, little, little uh, Christmas tree lights they'd hang and <laughs> They would set up a table with a blender. <laughs> anyway, how it should be like a holiday. Uh, that was so fun. After after every show, like it was, we also had babes in Toyland on that tour for a while, and we, me and those girls would go running down and have some cocktails with like Dave and Caius. <laughs> it was really fun. Was Dave yeah, living so in Dave's New Orleans the- at that time, or had he already left New Orleans? I I 
I talked to him about this recently. It's a little confusing. I think he had, I think he had just, I think this um, bar slash restaurant in New Orleans had just burned down to the ground. Yeah. And so he was kind of homeless. And I think that's when Caius took him on tour. So you guys never lived out there together at the same time? Oh, in L.A.? In in New Orleans. You you never had the NOLA crossover. No, but he comes no, but he comes pretty often. Well, not not during COVID, but you know we 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 get to see each other quite a bit, so that's nice. <laughs> Normally, <laughs> that tour as well. I was reading about that in your book. Um, the four opening bands that you had, which would rotate, right? You mentioned two of them: Caius, Babe, and Toyland. Then you also had on the Reverend Horton Heat and the Melvins, which, I mean. Yeah. At the time, did you know you had like the best lineup and the best bill going? Because in, in hindsight and in retrospect, it's all well and good when you look back and go, my God, that was a ferocious bill. But surely you must have even known it at the time. Like this is a shit hot oh, bill yeah. right here. Yeah, no, we knew it at the time. We were freaking out. I mean, it was it was just so fun to like watch the opening bands every night and have it rotating like that. It was just really fun. You know, I mean, Melvin's amazing, you know, uh, Reverend Horton Heat, one of my favorite bands. I mean, those guys are like brothers to me. You know, I've gone to see them in like you know Nashville and hang out with old old Nashville guys. You know, like on the side of the stage, like old so like Ernest Tubbs like band members like passing me like bottles of homemade hooch and stuff. Amazing. It's, yeah, the Reverend is uh, that's seriously one of my favorite bands. It's so funny. I was actually just hanging out. His uh, wife is an artist, and she was visiting in town last week, and her son is going to school here and he's um he's a bass player go figure (laughs) and uh yeah we just had a nice dinner last week so yeah i'm i keep in touch with those guys yeah the other great thing about the book is it's not just the story of you know your life and white zombie but anybody who's you know really interested in that generation that era alternative culture the birth of all of that stuff you know it's it's all in the book and it's a great document of that time and i've got to tell you sean it just it made me so wistful and nostalgic for the 90s like especially when you know there's been no gigs this year anyway but i was just reading through and you know all the bands you reference are mentioned in there the dwarves as well and um l7 <laughs> you know it's just like a who's who of all the bands i grew up loving and and you were just right the, there on the, tour all with the, all of them. <laughs> and all the floors we slept on we slept on l7 i i, I try to remember which member of the band took us in that night but yeah we slept on on the dwarves the dwarves floor was probably the, one of the scariest floors we slept on <laughs> what was the dwarves pad like we were, back then we were, uh, it was it was in san francisco and it was just I can't remember exactly what it looked like, um, but I just remember we were trying to sleep and there were people like stepping over us all night long. Like there was a crazy like all night long party going on with some, you know, probably a few illegal substances, I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) I had Blag on the show as well. I love Blag. He's, you know, he's, he's obviously seen and perceived as one thing. But behind that caricature is a very intelligent, smart, sharp minded quite brilliant man oh that's i'm i'm not surprised yeah. <laughs> you know he was fascinating that's a pretty interesting band yeah that's, well, that's cool you talk a lot about how when you were starting out all of you sort of knew each other you know and it was quite a close-knit community and obviously i think when bands were starting out then especially after punk and, and you know that first wave of creativity and underground art and diy bands all hit is you were never really doing it for a career or anything long term. 
was it? And it was never like, oh, we're going to become successful or rich or famous off of any of this. Like in those early years, it really was for the love and the passion of just making the music, right? Right. Definitely. I mean, we, we did have, um, we did have aspirations, you know, we did, we, we did want to get bigger, but big to us was like the Ramones or the Cramps or Motorhead. Like we, we wanted to get to like a level where we could sell at a theater. I mean, that was as far as we could imagine. And, um, that's, you know, that would have been amazing. And and it was amazing when we got to that level, we were pretty happy. (laughs) So, um, you know, that, we definitely never imagined that we'd, you know, be selling out arenas and stuff. So that 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 was beyond our wildest dreams. But but um the uh yeah, no, I mean at first for definitely you're just like, I gotta be in a band. I wanna be in a band, you know? And like you just find whoever you can to be in a band. I was I had already played with a, a couple other people, um, in uh New York City before Rob and I met in Star White Zombie. But um, nothing, nothing of note. But you know, just um, it was, it was, it was just a, a crazy time. You know, like I go to CBGB. So first thing, uh, uh, Rob and I both had had this in common. I, I, I think we we didn't meet at CBGBs, but we were both would always go to the hardcore shows. Yeah. And uh, he said he had seen me there. And I, anyway, the what a time that I, was, I was as at, well. Was, All those bands. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah, I I'd go every Sunday. I mean, I. I had to live off of thirty dollars a week, which was not impossible in the eighties in New York City. I mean, you could there was a lot of you know cheap meals, a slice of pizza was seventy five cents. You know, you could get a breakfast for a dollar. You could, you know, there was, yeah. there was things you could do to get by on three dollars a day. But uh, Sunday, my three dollars went to CBGBs. You know, and for three bucks, you could see like four or five bands. It was just incredible. I thought you can name any hardcore band. I probably saw them like three or four times. You know, so it was it was it was fun. You know. I recently That's spoke definitely. to John Joseph and Harley Flanagan, not together, obviously, um, but I spoke, wow. to, spoke to both of those guys, read both their books, and I've still never been to New York, you know, and it's, you know, for me as a, what I would like to call a musicologist, you know, just obsessed with the history of all of it and the development of all of it, and New York is just where it's at, you know, in that time and place, in the space of like 18 months, you had the birth of hip-hop, punk rock, disco, you know, street culture, amazing cinema, performance art, and just one of the most exciting kind of culturally hot places and times in the, you know, modern history. Um, Some of the scenes that I love that you describe in the book, I'd love to hear them in a little more detail if you're up for going down there, is the Times Square movie theater kind of just seedy New York scene. Um, which sounds now like a parallel universe, like compared to what it is now. Um, but oh, yeah. what was it like back then for you as a young kid r- wandering around and seeing all those characters and, you know, scenarios oh, playing man. out? It was so crazy. Um, I, I, I first started going up there with a few friends um, that kind of had a weird kind of swampy punk band, hard to explain, but they, um, they the Swamp Goblins. And, uh, what a name. What a I great was, name. I was, yeah, right. I was going to Parsons and I made friends with them immediately. And um, they're like, all right, we know you're in the horror movies. Come up with us to the, there was one, it was all, you know, triple X rated movie theaters, but yeah. one theater would show horror movies and it would be a triple feature and uh, for like five bucks. And they're like, 
you know, got to come with us. So I came with them. First of all, they got their beers, their beer, you know, cans of beers and bags. That was a big thing back then. You could, as long as you kept your alcohol in like a, a bag, yeah. you could like walk around and drink in New York back then. And they were super into that. So they had their, their bag beers and uh, we go in the theater. And first of all, I was just taken away with the architecture because these theaters are still the old, like, you know, gorgeous, you know, 1800 turn of the century theaters with, you know, amazing like frescoes and like insane you know molding and detail and balconies but they're just kind of crumbling and and then they 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 would only turn the lights down like halfway down and uh you know because who knows what's going on in the audience right people having sex smoking (laughs) crack all that stuff yeah (laughs) yeah this is even for the the horror movies and it would be like you know totally like cannibal holocaust and i drink your blood you know just yeah, yeah really yeah. proper like b movie exploitation flick real, stuff yeah yeah that's that's the stuff that was showing and uh and like somebody would you know invariably like <laughs> there'd be these huge puffs of like weed coming at you like <laughs> somebody would have a jam box somebody would have a baby you know like be like <laughs> baby crying like <laughs> it was crazy up there you know and uh, uh it was it was fun in there and I, I remember another reason we'd go up to Times Square is because it was the only place we could find a photo booth. And uh, there was one at Coney Island, too. We'd go there sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, an old, old black and white photo booth. We didn't um, have anyone to take our first pictures for. Uh, actually, I, I took I took the front photo for God's Own Booting Moon, our first seven inch. But, um, you know, I had to set a timer on it and on. And uh, so, so we're like, let's just go to Times Square and get photos <laughs> taken for the back cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, Pre-Instagram. Uh, None of that business then. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but you know, photo booths were always fun back then. Um, yeah, Times Square was just it was it was you know, it was like a, a bomb went off, you know, it was just a mess. <laughs> oh, god, sketchy, um, but, and you know, the I, living I, I do, conditions you describe as well, Sean. The actual like squalor that you guys were living in, um. Like, I just can't imagine any bands today going through that. You're talking about how the rats are just crawling over you in your sleep. And, you know, they're basically like yeah. neighbors, like permanent residents with you. <laughs> There's people like blocking yeah, the I door mean, to the flat because they passed out underneath it. And Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We couldn't get out our door sometimes. We were, in the, we're always like in a basement or ground floor, which is the least desirable, you know, apartments in New York City because, you know, the, the ground floor, everyone just throws, would throw their trash down the chute you know, the middle of the buildings. And so if you had the ground floor and you tried to open your window, a bunch of trash and garbage would come, you know, that's all you'd see, <laughs> you know, out your window, you can't open your window. And then uh, the basement or even worse, of course. So yeah, we lived in a basement for a couple of years and uh, man, yeah, it was, it was nasty. Our ceiling caved in and it was all this water pouring in and we couldn't get the landlords to fix it. So we stopped paying rent. It was only, you know, our rent was only three hundred dollars a month, month, which was pretty good already. But we had to start taking turns, like leaving work to like trade out the garbage can full of water and you know and uh, stuff like that, just to you know keep living there. Cause at that at that point, we we're like, okay, we're not paying rent until you fix this. That's you know, we had a whole another year where we lived like that. <laughs> water leak and rats and roaches and yeah, no. Uh, no electricity half the time. We had uh, it's crazy. It's so crazy there. <laughs> you know? I every, bet you wouldn't everything. trade it though, right? A, a certain age when you're young, you can throw yourself into that situation. And and what I have sort of come to learn from everybody that I've spoken to about New York at that time is, you know, living conditions were grim. The streets were rough. It was dangerous. 
but there was also this yeah. charm to it all and this excitement in the air and it was just like as i said earlier like a, just such a happening place where it seemed like anything was possible if you were a creative type yeah it was it was really crazy i mean it, it, the, the east village was so great and lower east side I, I have so many great memories there i just see, you know you'd see like you know the hanoi rocks guys rocking walking down the street and then there's like this weird there were like all these characters around town there was these, these two guys that were a duo art I can't remember their names. They were a great artist duo for a while, and they'd walk around like, you know, totally like 1890s clothing, you know. And there was another couple that walked around, and they looked like like Baudelaire or something. <laughs> they just like, have like a big jug of wine and be wearing big blousy French, you know, shirts and things. <laughs> I don't know. Just everybody's just living out their own little artistic world there. It was, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool area. I, I was just remembering back about some of the places we would hang out there and you know, so many great record stores. Um, Steve, um, Steve Blush opened up a, uh, before he, you know, made all the cool docs that he's made. He, he had a great um, fanzine store. He had a whole store just full of fanzines called See Here in the East Village. And, uh, you know, it's just like a block off of St. Mark's. And, and uh, the guy that wrote the Psychotronic, uh, Michael Weldon, he, he, had a, he had a video store. And we we would see him like all the time. We'd go in there and just look look at videos and <laughs> look at him. Like, oh my God, it's Michael Weldon. You know? Anyway, it was it was a it was a very cool time to be there. Yeah, and it, well, it sounds like you got the best of both worlds because when you were out in Los Angeles as well, um, you know there was that kind of time period where Johnny Depp owned the Viper Room. And, you know, it was before my time by a couple of years, but I remember when I sort of got into rock and, and cinema and all these things for the first time. And you're reading about the characters and the locations and, you know, like all these people like Harry Dean Stanton and John Belushi and Timothy Leary. And I mean, I'm reading through your book and I'm like, oh, my God, this is like a hit list who's who of everybody I would have ever wanted to party with. Um and, and you seem to have been, again, like right there, right time, right place, just living it up with all these legends. Yeah, it's weird. I was the, I, I feel like I was the only one in the band that was going out and partying like all the time. <laughs> when we were off for a year, you know, or so making a record, I was like, I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> I got the Dave Catching mentality. Let's have a good time all the time. Hell yeah. You know, and uh, so, yeah, I, I don't, I can't remember. Remember exactly how I kind of got um, initiated into the Viper Room crowd, but um, you know, we always, me and my friends always had like VIP access and free drinks and go in the little secret, you know, uh, VIP room that had it, it was like one way kind of mirror or something. That, I don't know. You could you could watch you could see out and watch the bands and see all the people in the club that they couldn't look in. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It would be like yeah, it would be like you know, Kate Moss, Johnny Depp. Um, you know, Gibby Haynes, like <laughs> just craziest mix of people, you know, hanging out back there. But it was it was a really good time. And uh yeah, and Timothy Leary, uh I I met backstage, we opened for Anthrax and uh Timothy Leary was hanging out with Al Jorgensen. Yep. And that's the night I met Al Al Jorgensen and we actually started dating. Um and uh I didn't know you dated Al. To... Oh, wow. Is yeah. That, is, that, yeah. <laughs> is that in the book? Did I miss that or did you leave it out of the book? It's in, it's, kind of, it's in there, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's kind of alluded to. I must have not been reading yeah, between the lines. Yeah. Uh, I think um, I think I mentioned it. 
anyway, well, you have now. It was it's too um, late. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. Uh, it didn't last long, but it was really fun. I mean, it, we we actually traveled together quite a bit. So it was, I don't know. It was, you know, can't remember. You know. Was Holly, he was Holly he running wild at that time, or was he in a, a more he's, sane period in his life for him? I don't know if he's ever had a totally sane period. He's kind of a wild man, but we, you know, we had a good time. He almost drove me off a cliff at Johnny Depp's house. Yeah, I, come on, tell me about this. Tell me about this. You can't just yeah, mention that in the book and then not give me more details. <laughs> I think we've been at the Viper Club or something, and Johnny invited us up, and I don't know. We were there for some reason up at his house, and. It, Amazing, of course, and up on a cliff, you know, in the Hollywood Hills, and Al has some crazy hot rod, um, and he just kind of backed up a little too fast, and the back tires went off the edge of the cliff, and, uh, and uh, you know, I had to precariously open the door and kind of leap forward to the ground. And is it just you two the in the car? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, and um, and. Uh, and then uh, Gibby was there too. So I remember Gibby was like just out front of the house laughing and goes, "Looks like you guys are staying the night." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I remember so watching I a lot of off. that was that was fun. I remember watching a lot of interviews with Johnny Depp in the nineties, and he'd always mention Gibby like the butthole surfers. He'd always be like, "Yeah, I'm listening to a lot of the butthole surfers," and by all accounts, another like absolute lunatic, <laughs> Gibby, just wild yeah. man. <laughs> yeah totally uh one of my favorite bands ever i mean all those years i was going to see hardcore bands and stuff at cbgb's i was also going i i saw butthole surfers first show in new york city and to play cbgb's you you have to play audition night you know and yeah. uh they weren't really known yet they came to new york and they played and uh it was like the most amazing thing i ever saw they were doing the whole thing with the the coke bottles that they broke over their head and purple paint would spill all over them and then tear up like pillows and feathers go flying you know just a crazy you know kind of trippy psychedelic show going on along with you know the crazy bands that you're watching and uh you know not that they ever stopped doing that but it was just insane to see it for the first time and after that they were like what are you guys doing and they're like oh we're we're in town for a bit. We're going to play the ABC, and then we're going to play. You know, we just followed them around like groupies, like we could every show. We we're just obsessed with them. Um, it was, you know. So I, I've always, I've always loved those guys. Yeah, they're a highly unique and original band, um, and just yeah, special, very special. But then you know, almost every band at that time had its own thing going on. You know, alternative rock is such a a blanket term for so many, you know, so many great bands. But all of them, what I love about that time is so different. You know. Tool, Primus, yeah. like you guys, Melvins, Nirvana, Soundgarden, every single band was unique unto themselves, had their own distinct visual and sonic cocktail going on. Um, and I do feel, yeah, not, not being like the old Mona, but I do feel like, you know, music's become a lot more homogenized in more recent times and it's kind of, you know, been, yeah. been whitewashed yeah, a bit. Yeah, it's kind of hard to find music that doesn't sound very commercial these days i've noticed with you know i don't know <laughs> maybe i'm sure there's some stuff out there it's just i mean there's so many bands now it's like how do you how do you find <laughs> yeah there's still loads of exciting bands out there but it just seems like none of the really wild and unique bands make it big anymore whereas obviously back in the 90s like the most insane unusual 
you know, out there bands were the biggest bands in the world. It was wild, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I guess Nirvana kind of kicked open that door and then every record label just wanted to sign like alternative rock bands, right? And so it was just like, you know, all bets were off and let's let's get the, the record deal and cash in and make amazing yeah. art. Yeah, no, it was totally crazy. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was definitely a unique time in, in music. <laughs> you know, they weren't taking those gambles back in, you know, the 50s or 60s or anything. You know, it's like uh, that was a very creative and strange time and amazing that the corporate, you know, music world decided to embrace it. Yeah, well, it was going on. It, it was lucky, go- lucky for us. <laughs> very lucky for you. It, and it seemed to be happening in, you know, cinema and comedy as well and you know you had kind of you know quite out there creatives you know on saturday night live um and you know some of the other people you mentioned in the book who again just like some of my favorite creatives and comedians ever chris farley and adam sandler uh and and steve bashimi as well was it the airheads premiere what was it what was the night where you were hanging out and cutting loose with those guys well um the the first time we met them um we we were on the we were on the set for airheads because we're we're in it you know they, the, there's a big scene where chris farley um goes to um oh i can't think of them anyway he goes to uh, the whiskey he goes to the whiskey a go-go um to try to find um a, a guy <laughs> and uh and uh we're the band on stage when he when he goes in there so um that scene is like probably like I don't know maybe thirty seconds maybe a minute long at most, but it took twelve hours to film that and I was like yeah. wow I got a new respect for actors <laughs> this is a pain in the ass a lot know? of waiting around and, uh, right that's like ninety yeah, percent so of it yeah so we get up there we do this thing for thirty seconds we're like cut and then they got changed all the lights and something went wrong and do it you know over and over and over you know audience supposedly like dancing and jumping around to us and stuff and uh everybody leaves and, and like in all that downtime you know immediately uh my, i had my friend cynthia with me on the road being my base tech at the time and uh and uh he, she was wearing like we both were really in a our friend had a great store called necromance where i got my human skeleton and uh we both had like crazy jewelry we got there made out of bones and little she had a I can't remember some kind of something crazy you know necklace and steve Bushimi and me like comes up she's like i love your necklace and and we're both like, oh my god, it's Mr. Pink, you know? We're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super Steamy fans, <laughs> like, hi, you know? And, and he's like, oh, come hang out in the trailer. So you know, we're talking to him, and then Adam Sandler comes over. He's like, oh, I, I got this new record. You guys want to check it out? So we <laughs> and me and Sam got to go over to Adam Sandler's trailer and listen to that first record he made with Lunch Lady and all that, you know? And yeah, yeah. It was just, cra- you know, it was just killing time and fun. Chris Farley kept like goofing off for us, like he kept driving up in a golf uh little golf cart and wrecking it <laughs> in front of us like, flipping it over on his side and then he'd like come back and do it again and again and again it was just, yeah crazy it was, it was crazy so yeah i mean it's not like we exchanged phone numbers i don't you know i didn't see him again much in the future besides you know the premiere and things like that but uh yeah good good time so Cool yeah. There's a beautiful song that Adam Sandler does in his most recent stand-up special, which was maybe about two years ago now, and he's doing a tribute to Chris Farley. Have you seen that? I saw that, yeah. 
Yeah. Heartbreakingly beautiful, isn't it? It sounds almost like a Tom Petty song. It's actually like a really good song as well. And he's, yeah, he's he's got the clips playing behind him. He's like, I'm thinking about Chris Farley. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that you can tell how much they loved each other. It seems like every band from that time was in a movie. Like, you weren't a 90s band unless you had your scene in a film. <laughs> There's so many. I was just watching last night yeah. with Repo Man and Circle Jerks are in that. I was like, fucking hell, I forgot the Circle Jerks are in this. And again... That, yeah, we watched that during COVID. That was kind of crazy to see Circle Jerks. It's so kitsch, oh, isn't it? It's so kitsch now. Yeah, it's, it's so silly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a Circle Jerks, again, let me tell you, probably the first time we opened for a band that was so cool and supportive to us um we played with circle jerks God, one of our earliest gigs back in like the maybe 88 or something in was it chicago I think it, no it's detroit um webster's hall i think is what it was called no i can't remember anyway there was some crazy theater there and uh we opened up for the circle jerks and and keith morris walks up after like you guys are great i want to buy a t-shirt and we're selling our T-shirts for all of five dollars, you know. And uh, we go, and we're like, oh, thanks, you know. We give money, gives us a ten dollar bill. And we're like, oh, we don't have any change. We hadn't sold any. You know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, he's like, oh no, keep the change. And we're like, ooh, <laughs> you know? we're dining out tonight. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna eat dinner tonight. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm actually chatting yeah, to Keith then, in about two hours' time after you, so I'll, I'll pass on your you're your regards to him. Me. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, say oh, you said God, hello. He is, he's always an upright guy in my book, man. And yeah, then we moved to LA, and you know, see him in LA a lot, and just such a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Those first couple of records you guys did as well, the uh, Gods on Voodoo Moon and Pig Heaven. I love those albums, or EPs, whatever you want to call them. That they they almost do sound a little bit like Black Flag, Circle Jerks, early hardcore. Those two records for That's me. What we were, yeah, we were going to CBs and seeing those bands a lot. I mean, we, God, I can't even count how many times I saw Black Flag. They'd come through like every two weeks. I don't know. They, they just circled around, you know, US and toured their asses off. So yeah, we, we what definitely. All those fans were influenced, and uh, we were also really into like the birthday party, though, and and uh, yeah, you know the cramps and a lot of you know kind of I don't want to call it horror rock, but you know just things like, you know a lot of bands like that. So it was you know we were kind of trying to combine all that when we started. Yeah, you talk a lot about how you kept changing guitarists, and that's why a lot of those early albums sound you know quite different from record to record and uh yeah yeah it's kind of hard being a singer and a, and a bass player and uh yeah not not having the sound change with <laughs> you know with a solid you know one just one guitarist it's, yeah that that did that did happen <laughs> what the soul crusher album cover have you ever been told this or thought this but if you google soul crusher and you get the cover up and then you google the fear and loathing in las vegas film poster have you ever noted the mm. e extreme similarities between those two just the shape of rob's head and johnny depp's head the font the color scheme soul crusher came first i'm just wondering whether somebody saw that That's album crazy. cover and went oh we should because obviously ralph steadman the great english illustrator did the you know the book cover but with the movie poster i hadn't really 
paid attention to this correlation until I was reading your book and going down the white zombie rabbit hole. But yeah, sure. When you get a moment, Google fear and loathing film poster, soul crusher, pull them both up. And I will. It's insane. The, the kind of similarities there. Um, can we talk about Beavis and Butthead? Sure. <laughs> for, for a change, I'm sure. Why not? <laughs> but I, I was ch- interviewing years ago Tommy Prong, who was obviously a sound engineer at CBGB's around this time and doing a sound for you know a lot of these shows. And, and they actually had a big helping hand from, from that show as well, Prong did. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'd never really thought about it in this way before, but when I was chatting to Tommy, I was like, Beavis and Butthead were almost like the tastemakers of that time weren't they the gatekeepers to what was cool they could make a brand overnight and it seems like you know things were ticking over for white zombie you were working hard you were developing a really unique sound and look and package and everything and then is it safe to say that things did kind of skyrocket a lot faster after beavis and butthead started championing the band and getting behind them and and it was on that show did it notably change your fortunes definitely Oh, yeah. No, it really did. I mean, you know, there's nothing like getting that kind of coverage constantly on, on television. And uh, it was it was incredible, you know. We, we'd been on MTV quite a bit, thanks to Ricky Rockman. He'd have us, you know, on his uh, on his uh, metal show. and, and uh, The Headbangers Bowl. That, yeah, yeah. So we're, we were on that pretty often, and that was great. But once we got on, the, on Beavis and Butthead, and, you know, that was just so such a huge <laughs> popular so uh it, yeah i think things just really started you know Gavin was like oh my god <laughs> you know just sold another hundred thousand just sold another hundred thousand like this you know just records just started selling like crazy and and uh we were actually coming off of a tour we'd already been on the road for over a year and We'd done we'd done pretty well. I can't remember exactly where our sales were at. Well, well enough that Geffen wanted to make another record and said, "Yeah, okay, like come come back, you know, come back home and let's let's make another record." And then that happened with Beavis and Butthead, and they're like, "Okay, you got to go tour more of this first record because you got a whole new audience." So, yeah, we just went out for a whole another year. Yeah, that that, that was why there was a few years between the two because, you know, nowadays that might not sound like a lot, but I guess at that time, three years between albums, especially as the album was going well, that was quite a long time, wasn't it? But that's just because you were just out on the road grinding, touring and playing here, there and everywhere, was it? Yeah, and when I say we were on the road, I mean, we were on the road. You were gone. A couple couple of years. Like, we we did not have any, we we put what little belongings we had in, in storage and, uh, you know, we got in the van and went. It, it, it wasn't, um, you know, we had no home. We had to, like, we had to stay on the road. So, home. I yeah, have no we, home. <laughs> we, we were, we were all, we're all homeless. And, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, we, as long as we stay on the road, we made money. So it was, um, you know, it was, it was just the, the <laughs> it was like great for us, you know, to keep touring. So yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, you know, sometimes they put us up at a little cheap hotel for a night or two in between a tour, but usually we'd just be driving to connect somewhere crazy like Salt Lake City, you know, drive from LA to Salt Lake City to start another tour, you know, just keep going. Were you one but, of the uh, few yeah, bands that did... Are... Go on, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, thanks to Beavis and Butthead, we, you know, kind of are touring uh, 
uh, life ramped up and we got a bus, you know, and we all, all us and the roadies all kind of got in there and didn't get hotels for a while. We just kind of lived on the bus, you know, and then, you know, we got to step it up a little better where we get a hotel here and there. And it was, you know, it was, it was good. Well, th- <laughs> thank, thank you, Beavis and Butthead. What was the feeling in the band towards the show? Were you guys fans of the show, or were you a bit like, oh, oh God. yeah, <laughs> yeah? I mean, you know, they, like you said, they, uh, they, you know, Beavis and Butthead like Butthole Surfers. You know, they like Metallica. They like, they like all this. They like Iggy Pop. You know, they like all the shit we like. So we're like, yeah, <laughs> they had good <laughs> <So>. taste. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we were, we were happy to get the thumbs up there. How cool was Iggy? Black Sunshine, such an amazing song, and his contribution oh to it just God. elevates it. Uh, and it's so great. Legend. And, uh, yeah, I, I continue to see him over the years. Especially, he was he was in the, at the Viper Room quite a bit during that time I was there. <laughs> yeah, he was working on was, a couple of movies with Johnny Depp nice in the nineties, wasn't he? He was in the uh, the Western they made together with Jim Jarmusch, and then I think Johnny Depp directed right, right. a film with Iggy in as well. Yeah, yeah. He's just such a great guy, you know, and just you know, he's just so easygoing and has no attitude or anything. You can just, you know, he's very approachable and just super friendly and nice. And he came over to our apartment, you know, to listen to the once the record got mixed, you know, to listen to the song and stuff. And I was like, oh, I just live like a block away, and you know, you know it's just crazy. As the East Village, just you never know who your neighbors are, you know. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, we should talk about Michael Alago, uh, who has also been on this show, and I've remained in touch with him and just a total sweetheart. Uh, what kind of a role did he play in the evolution of, of White Zombie's fortunes and story? Well, he signed us to Geffen, so pretty much everything is owed to him you know that's uh that you know what can i say i actually just talked to him last night we're like best friends we i i normally go up to new york pretty often and uh we always go and we actually go to a british place love it <laughs> near him uh 
uh, uh, it's called Tea and Sympathy, kind of like a little Brit punk rocker uh, tea tea house. So Amazing. cool. And uh, yeah, and that's like we do that every time I go to New York. We we meet there and talk for like two hours and gossip. And <laughs> anyway, I I adore him. And uh, yeah, he kind of courted us for a while, and he had us have us over for dinner and make some pasta for us in his apartment and that was like a big deal to us <laughs> like wow we didn't even have kitchens in our apartment so he could he could like cook pasta you know anyway it was it was good times and he chose his you know photos with like metallica oh okay you know his early days with metallica and, you know it was just amazing he's such a great guy and he's so eclectic you know every everything about him and uh, his he he reaches into very deep uh, areas of all all the arts, you know, writers, uh, singers, actors. But you know, he's he's amazing. Yeah, the documentary about him um, is is so good. That was what turned me on to him. I saw that and was like, wow, I need to get this guy on my show. What a story! Um, and as you uh, yeah. say, he's one of the, he's one of the artists, isn't he? He's one of those people who he's in the business side, but he's very much like you know artist friendly and has their interests you know at the forefront of of his agenda which is rare isn't it in the the music biz yeah and and he's really just all about the artist and the creativity and 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 not it's not a money thing with him you know like he'll he'll get up and leave a label in a second just to you know (laughs) go go to some other label if they won't sign who he wants you know just like he, he just you know, he loves what he loves. He's got very, you know, intense feelings about musicians and art, and uh, he's got great taste. And you know, I'm glad, I'm glad he liked us. <laughs> yeah, another man glad of discerning in, glad taste. Glad to be in the company of <laughs> of all that. From you know, John Lydon to Nina Simone, you can't mess with that, can you? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your relationship <laughs> been like with the UK over the years, Sean? Have you been here a lot since you stopped like touring regularly, or or has it been a while since you've been over to this side of the pond? You know, I I was there um, not too long ago. Um, I've been uh, traveling mostly through France for about a month, and a friend of ours was uh, uh, here in New Orleans, just getting married, and he's British, and he married a little north of um, London in the countryside his parents um, lived out there and anyway we yeah we just decided to go hang out in London for a few days and uh, and then take a train up to the wedding and it's wonderful I, I love it there I mean you know I remember bands always uh, no, no offense but you know I do remember bands always bitching about the food in England and <laughs> I, I love the food I, the, I think the best food in England I don't, like don't go to like a fine dining restaurant go to a pub like pub food is delicious <laughs> you know pub grub and the, i always find the quality of um you know the vegetables the meat everything is like better than in restaurants in america it seems like you know you guys have always been keeping things natural so i don't know i i, I we we love being there you know I like like getting fish and chips i like everything in the pubs like it's, just, it's great yeah, like everywhere, there's good and bad places and it's all about where you go. And I definitely think in more recent times, the UK has caught up with the rest of Europe, in particular with its kind of culinary 
offerings and reputation but i think there was definitely a time perhaps in the 80s and and 90s when the food over here wasn't that great but i mean now especially in london the food in london is as good as tokyo and la and you know anywhere in the world now but as you say you can't you can't beat a bit of good pub grub (laughs) (laughs) that's where it's at oh little little pot pies oh Oh, yeah now we're talking i can't wait for pubs to reopen so i can go and have a pie (laughs) I'm counting the days. <laughs> wow, they're actually completely shut down over there? Yeah, they, they reopened for outdoor service in like another three weeks or so. But as you know, oh outdoor in the UK, particularly in you know April time. <laughs> not always pleasant. It's not guaranteed to be good. So uh, I'm not sure how much eating will be going on, but maybe a few beers here or there. But yeah, we're, we're as I speak to you now at the end of March, we're still in full nationwide lockdown at the moment, a year oh on my God. from when it started. I'm, but I, I'm sorry for you. I mean, I, I, I got to say, I, we, we spend quite a bit of time up in New York um, also, but, uh, you know, during COVID, we've just been here in New Orleans because there's just a lot of space. I mean, I can, I can kind of like, walk around the neighborhood without wearing a mask i don't see anyone you know like there's just these great parks and live oaks and everything's you know kind of spread out so it's i mean not the french quarter it's the french quarter is crazy that's like yeah 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 yeah. that's like going going to forest land and yeah it's a little crazy but but uh i'm i'm kind of in the lower garden district area garden district and and it's it's just you know, if I see somebody a block away, I put my mask on real quick, you know, but I just, it's, it's provided a nice, you know, a, a nice place to be during COVID, I guess. And, and uh, actually what I, where I was going with this is that um things have kind of been able to stay open. Just that there's a lot of outdoor spaces for, you know, restaurants to have tables and things. So, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been horrible. I mean, we certainly, the first, uh, you know, it's just been the past few months we've been, going out here and there occasionally when there's, you know, and sitting outdoors, but, uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's been definitely a lot easier than when I talked to my friends in New York city, it sounds pretty rough still up there. And I'm sure, I'm sure they're in London. It's going to be, are, are you in London? Or are you? I was, I left, I was in London till August and cause I'm a DJ mainly by trade. This podcast is, you know, a kind of a, a long-term full-time pursuit, but it's really kind of not my main source of income. I used to make most of my money from DJing, going out on tour with bands, playing between bands, you know, doing the changeover sets, oh. doing residencies in bars and clubs around London. So that was really where all my money came from. And then as soon as COVID oh. hit, obviously it all went. So I did a couple of months and then I was like, I'm scrambling, up behind, scrambling sorry, by um, just to make rent and yet nothing's open or going on. So I just bailed and yeah, I've just been back in the area that I grew up since August of last year. Um, just w- waiting that's out smart. the storm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel like I like, I want to go back to New York, but like, I'm like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to wait for a while. Um, it's, yeah, it's hard in the cities right now. Um, I, it's, you know, things are. Things are things are looking up. I've got one of my vaccines so far. I'm getting another one. I'm getting the second one tomorrow. So oh, amazing! Pretty pretty excited about that. How's how's that going over there? Yeah, we're doing well. I think over here are moving fast. Both my parents have had theirs. Good. Um, they're doing like millions every week. So yeah, things are going well on that front. Oh, that's, and um, oh, that's great. They're announcing shows from June onwards. 
So we'll see. I mean, my theory is this: yeah, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to like piss on anybody's parade. Um, but half of me is hesitant to get too excited um, because just because they're being announced, it doesn't mean that they're going to go ahead as the last year has shown. Exactly. So many tours have been announced and then pushed back and announced and then pushed back. So as soon as one thing goes ahead and I see it happen, then that's when I'll, yeah. I'll start getting really excited and I'll start hopefully getting back to work, getting some sets and you know getting back to my old way of life. But until then, right. I'm just recording podcasts, I'm writing my second book. I did a book last year in my downtime, so I kind of, you know, turned the time into something productive. And um, yeah, just trying to use the time wisely, and yeah, not not get too frustrated with things that are out of my control because something like this is just so far beyond what any of us, you know, can can ration with, isn't it? So you've just got to roll with it. Exactly. Yeah, and and like I said, I mean, although, um, you know, I mentioned that New Orleans has like got this great space where you can kind of get out and about and not be trapped in your apartment. Um, it's also been rough here because, you know, this town is built on, you know, musicians and, you know, nightclubs and shows, you know, <laughs> places where musicians perform, you know, so it's uh, taken a real toll on, you know, all of our friends pretty much with bars and uh, clubs shutting down and a lot, a lot of them are shutting down for good and, not, you know, all the musicians going broke. So it's, it's it's been it's been hard, you know. I've been I actually was doing some fundraising for New Orleans music New Orleans Musicians Exchange. Um, they've been around forever, just helping out a lot of the you know artists that are just just barely scraping by. You know, I mean, all these people. There's we have all these famous people like Kermit Ruffins, you know, and that just amazing musicians. And you can just walk in a bar and see them, and they might you know make like 50 bucks or 100 bucks that night you know but it's not it's not like you know really getting paid that much so it's it's uh and now to not have that at all you know yeah and it's definitely been hard on the town but we're we're gonna we're gonna make it come back well they're lifers aren't they people like that like there's some people who will start a band because they want to you know, sleep with people or make money or do drugs or get famous. You know, there's there's all of those sides to it, which I think is a big incentive. Certainly it used to be anyway for a lot of people. Um, but then there's people who really just are born to, to make music, to play music, to be in music, whatever. And it doesn't matter if they get a record deal or not. They'll be 80 years old, you know, they'll be five decades, six decades in. And they'll still be there week after week, night after night performing because it's just it's what they do. And and they're like the, yeah. they're the life source and the, the heart and body and soul of, of the the music scene, aren't they? I don't want to say industry because they're they're separate to me. They're pure and kind of untainted by that. They're just they're out there doing it for all the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty amazing here. I mean there's it's such a it's such a great town too with so much history and, and a lot of these musicians that you know were born here and have never left here really like they, they just play new orleans they love it here you know <laughs> they just, they'll just like you said play like every week and and uh you know hope to pay the rent but it's uh it's it's a pretty pretty crazy scene here and hopefully it'll it'll bounce back i'm sure things are things are kind of slowly reopening here We'll see. I feel like it's the dawn of a new era and spring's in the air and I feel like the worst is, beh- <laughs> the worst is behind us. The best is yet to come. And I've been saying this to a yeah. few friends, like from, I don't know about this year, but 2022, 
I mean, it's going to go off. I, I, in my oh, heart, yeah. I'm holding out for just, you know, that's when the Roaring Twenties are going to hit. 2022, well, I was just gonna bang. Say that. bang. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's going to be a damn good year when we can all party again, you know? Yeah, <laughs> every band party. in the world is going to be out on the road. There's going to be shows every night. All the bars are going to be full. Restaurants are going to be full. You were in the restaurant business yeah. for a bit, right? Did you have a bar and a restaurant in New Orleans? Um, not a restaurant, but we opened a, a bar called The Saint, um, um, and uh, that did quite well. It was a really fun little rock and roll dive bar. And uh, in the, my favorite kind of bar. Yeah, kind of in the Irish Channel slash Lower Garden District area, and uh, yeah, it did really well. Um, I was, we were, you know, we created it and had it for like six years, and sold it and then uh it's it's kind of back in the family my my uh my husband chris lee he's he's in a band actually that toured europe a lot um super group um yeah 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 i'm pretty sure they passed through england a bit <laughs> but uh his, his little brother ended up like we sold it to one guy and this guy had it for a couple of years and did really well with it also and then he sold it to um chris's little brother so <laughs> amazing so still <laughs> in, in the family, family. Uh, yeah still doing good and uh yeah anyway it's it was really fun. My favorite thing there was like throwing parties and uh, loading up the jukebox. You know, I had everything from like Caius to ABBA to, you know, Metallica. It's just like crazy, you know, all over the place. You know, <laughs> it was just, you know, it was like, it was every, I think I oh, can't even remember. Um, all party, all party. Country teasers, like. <laughs> all party taste like, catered for, yeah. jukebox in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still get out oh, and play live? Mm-hmm. You, oh no. no, I I'm uh I'm really you know it's funny. I, I found a notebook from God, early days in New York City. I was about eighteen or nineteen and I was kind of thinking out loud and writing it down to myself, like, Oh god, am I really gonna do this band thing? I came to New York to, you know, be a designer and uh do design do photography and design work and you know and uh and i was like well i can always do that when i'm older but i can only be in a band now when i'm young you know? <laughs> that's a smart way of looking that. at it and then i moved and then i moved here and i'm actually I've, I've uh i'm getting ready to have a big photo show at the um beginning of may an outdoor open open air photo show my my most recent photos and um which i, I shot right before covid and then i did a little bit more but i i took all these really haunting photos of New Orleans at like six in the morning when I found out there'd be like a heavy fog advisory. And um, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool and creepy and, you know, New Orleans. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's beautiful here. So uh, that's what my new show is going to be. And um, where, where do people so go if they want to have a look and, and check out some of your work? Oh, uh, well, there's, I have a, um, my photo website is just shawneesilt.com. And for the first six months or so of COVID, I created and finished my new design line, and that's um, wallpaper these days. I also have some scarves and pillows and other things on that site, and that's that's Esalt Design. So I've I've been keeping really busy during COVID, and I, I wrote a little music and piano actually. I I play you know always play the piano, so that's uh, that's kind of fun for me. But um, I did I wrote I wrote one song. I might I might actually film it and, and get it on youtube or something at some point but it's called the pandemic rag it's got, amazing it's got some ups and downs to it it's an old it's like a ragtime piece um so yeah you know I, I keep busy but no i don't i don't really you know play out anymore right now it's 
it was a, it was a real backbreaker, like having that base on and <laughs> spent a lot of years with chiropractors and all that and, and in a much better shape now than it was back on those days on, on tour. Yeah, well, touring takes its toll, doesn't it? And and it really mm-hmm. people I don't think really appreciate the true extent. Physically, of course, it can completely break you down. Mentally, um, emotionally, spiritually, it can batter your relationships. It's it's a hardcore way of life, um, and it definitely, as you point oh, yeah. out, there is for the young. And it, the, thing, the thing that I really loved about your book, Sean, is, well, I, I loved many things about it, as I've said over the course of this conversation. But what I really love the most is the whole tone in which you write and the way in which you come across and, and your story. There's absolutely no, not a single shred of bitterness or snarkiness or name calling and obviously White Zombie didn't end on the best of terms, but then nothing really does end well. Um, but but your story is just, you know, it's one of, of love and fun and, and passion and art and a good time. And it's just like you lived it, you did it, you had an amazing time, you're grateful for it, and then you got out and you moved on. And it's it's a beautiful story in that sense. Wow. Thank you. That's uh... <laughs> really nice words i appreciate that um i i am i am thankful for all that and um you know it was it was a labor of love and it was it was fun it was hard work it was you know it was crazy times but uh yeah looking back on it all i'm like oh my god (laughs) how did we we live like that (laughs) how insane were we you know but um you know it seemed normal at the time so crazy I, I just was, um, you're bringing me back to those early uh, East Village days in Lower East Side. And I remember, this is really kind of horrible, but, um, you know, we didn't, uh, Rob and I found a new apartment. We didn't have a, a bed. And uh, we were walking down East 10th Street where our new apartment was. And uh, and uh, there's this huge, the if you couldn't afford like a mattress or like a bed or anything, there was this big, uh, place called economy foam down on delancey street and you get a big chunk of foam and that's what you sleep on well somebody had just thrown out a huge chunk of foam the size of like a queen size bed and it was like you know about 10 inches thick <laughs> like it looked brand new and it was just you know and that's how we got half our furniture was like just pulling stuff off the street people would just throw things out and you're like oh a desk <laughs> you know drag it in your apartment so we dragged that in and that was our bed <laughs> thank god it wasn't filled with like cockroaches or something <laughs> i mean it's amazing we didn't catch like horrible plagues living there do you want oh, to hear the most disgusting story ever is it worse than that it's worse than that yeah it's on a very similar tip so i've just finished keith's book as well keith morris i had my chat with him later right and he Uh he talks in one chapter about moving into this rehearsal space down on hermosa beach called the church which is where black flag started out and they said that they wanted to get some carpet in there to make it kind of like home so like you guys they found some carpet on the street and it was covered in everything from like shit to puke to piss like everything you can think of and they didn't clean any of it like they didn't vacuum it they didn't do any of it 
and Keith is like shaking the rug. He's yeah, boys. That's exactly what it is. Keith said he's shaking the rug, and he had like loose baggy pants on, and he said all the dust and dirt from this carpet went down his trousers, and he was like shaking his trousers out. Anyway, starts getting an itch, and he's like, oh my god, oh my god. And he goes to the doctors, and he says, yep, sure enough, I had carpet crabs. Carpet crabs. I didn't even know that was a thing. Absolutely vile. Oh my god! <laughs> I am happy to say I remain disease-free my entire time in the Lower East Side. Of the East my god, that sounds horrible. I mean, considering the conditions we lived in, uh, I mean, none of these apartments ever had heat. By the way, like we'd have to get little um, heaters from you know the local hardware store, It'd be like twenty or thirty bucks. And you plug it in, and invariably, after a few months of running it constantly <laughs> all through the winter of New York City, it would like burst out in flames. And you know, you just <laughs> hope you wake up, <laughs> get you know, get get the fire put out before before your apartment burns down. Um, that that happened like a few times. You know, it's it's just it's a crazy way of having to live. But uh, but yeah, I've. <laughs> that's what you call suffering for your art right there <laughs> definitely definitely oh my god living it um i'm gonna well, let, i'm gonna let you go in a minute sean because i've i've okay. kept you for a while and i'm so grateful for your time and um i know you don't do a lot of these so i really appreciate you saying yes to my invitation i really enjoyed it and uh, uh thanks matt oh i have a quick question for you wait a minute okay yeah fire <laughs> away your interview yeah, i was listening to your interview with dave Cathy and you were talking about all the uh all the stars that were uh, backstage at one of their shows. And um, and I, I think I heard you mention Matt Berry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Matt like Berry. He, like, yeah. <laughs> the English <laughs> comedian that talks up. like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we are totally hooked on um, on uh, a toast. Yeah, <laughs> toast, of, toast London. of London. I, we, of course, uh, I love him so much from... Uh, um, you know, from what we do in shadows. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, but uh, uh, we have a, a Brit friend here. Uh, this guy has an awesome ice cream company called New Orleans Ice Cream. This guy, Adrian Simpson, and uh, from England. And he's he's like, oh, you don't know about toast? <laughs> toast from <laughs> London? <laughs> and uh, man, I that so kills me. So I don't know if you know that guy or what, but I put you when you referenced him, I was like, Matt Berry, <laughs> he's the best. I sadly oh, don't know him, but he was there. Was so many people there that night, and Matt was there. And I just remember I like tapped him on the shoulder, and I was like, "They're amazing, aren't they?" And this is literally his response. He was like, "Shut up, the group are on." <laughs> and I, I, I was like, "Are you in character right voice. now? Are you fuck?" He's like, "The group are on. <laughs> Shut up." <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's just oh, the way God, he said. He it. said the group as well. The group are on. <laughs> Oh, and then wonderful. afterwards he was oh afterwards God, he was walking out and he goes what a group right what a group <laughs> <laughs> he's brilliant oh, that's wonderful <laughs> there always right, seems to ask you about that there always seems to be comedians <laughs> around those guys they're good pals with uh rob delaney as well if you know him they seem to be good friends with a few um he's an american comedian but he lives in london but yeah, there's nice. there's always all kinds of interesting people at, at Eagles of Death Metal shows, and um, yeah, That's true. I, I, Iggy Pop <laughs> was there that same night as well. That was my one and only time ever 
meeting him and he was coming into the venue uh, as I was going out for a smoke and he was he thought I was in a band about to go on stage so he was like hey sorry man if you're about to go on stage sorry for getting in your way man and I was like no 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 don't apologize to me like you're Iggy Pop and I'm, and I'm not in a band and he just held out his hand and was like Jim man Jim and I shook his hand and was like oh my god because Iggy's like number one all-time hero for me so yeah that was quite the yeah. night <laughs> that sounds like a good mix. <laughs> Watching the group. The group are on. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed the interview. Thank and, you, um, too. Thank you so yeah. much. And uh, I do another show, right? I do another podcast that I recently launched called Stoke the Fire. And uh, it's not really like an interview show in the same way as this. It's more, it's me and my friend Jesse Leach, who's the singer in a metal band called Kill Switch Engage. And we kind of just hang out and talk about, you know, anything and everything, the stuff of life. And I was reading that you are in some way, shape or form. Perhaps it's, you know, not to the extent that I thought, but are you interested in the, uh, the whole kind of stories around Bigfoot? Is that a bit of you? No, I think you got me mixed up with somebody. But you know, now that you mention it, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Bigfoot's always an interesting character, yeah, sure. But uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't like have a collection of books on them or anything. But um, <laughs> I, I must be grossly misinformed. Then I was going to see if you wanted to come on that show and hang out with us and talk about Bigfoot, but. The invitation is still there if you want to come on that show and talk about other stuff. <laughs> I don't know where I got the Bigfoot oh, no, thing, let me, then. Let me, let me brush up on the top of it. Yeah, yeah that's it. I'm going to do some cram bit. revision. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a call in a little while after I uh, get myself schooled. <laughs> Amazing. And big, Bigfoot talk. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's oh, so man. much. There's so much left. I, I'm not going to get into it now because there is so much stuff, but I'd love to talk to you again, either on that podcast or maybe you could come back on this at a later date. But I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's many stories we didn't get into. And I must say as well, the Famous Monsters Project, I absolutely love that. And, and you know, two, oh, thank you. two of my favorite bands ever are the B-52s and the Cramps. And it's very much in that vein of, of kind of surfy, lo-fi um rockabilly just cool new wave punk and uh yeah i really enjoy that are those records on sale anywhere or are they kind of like super rare out of print not available they're they're super rare and out of print but i do happen to i just i as i'm digging through my vault and clearing things out and you know selling things here and there um i just came across a few boxes so i might put those up online when i do things like that i, I post it like on instagram so yeah, yeah. there's um a website that uh, a friend is, is uh selling selling stuff <laughs> helping me clean out my house a bit and uh you know it's like they're not they've been you know all these things have just been sitting in boxes for years it's like i, I rather get them to fans and have it you know taking up space anyway so uh it's just been kind of fun getting that stuff out there and yes i did just stumble across some famous monsters so, um amazing yeah if you, yeah uh maybe i'll get you a little special hook up if um you want to email I, me some information or something <laughs> yeah i'd love to get i would absolutely love to get one i would absolutely love to and um yeah, as I said, I've, I've loved seeing you because it's interesting, isn't it, right? When you collect stuff, it's nice to keep a document of, of the things that you've seen and done. And then you obviously get to a point where you've scanned everything and you've put it out in the book. And it must feel like now, 
oh, I'm kind of just like hoarding this stuff at this stage. Like, you know, there, come, yeah. there comes a time yeah. when it's time to, to let it go, right? And, and give it to, yeah. to a home so it can take on a new life of its own and be enjoyed rather than just tucked away. And there's always that interesting thing with objects like that. It's like, I think that, you know, it's like with vinyl, right? If you have a super rare vinyl and you don't want to play it because it's worth loads, it's like, that's cool and all, but at a certain point, that needs to be enjoyed, doesn't it, by somebody else that's going to yeah. vibe off it. Yeah, and when I go through all this stuff, I'm like, well, I've got like 10 of them, or I've got like 30 of them. I, I really just need like one, one or two, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe one or two. I'd keep an extra one for a friend if somebody freaks out and wants a copy, you know? But, but um, you know, why not let, you know, let, let it get out there? So, yeah, that's that's what I've been kind of doing. And, and uh, you know, I'd... I, I did a, I, I did quite a bit for six months and, and did a nice um, chunk of the money to the New Orleans Musicians Clinic, like I was saying. They're, they're just amazing. I mean, they, they give not just musicians, but like bartenders and people that own bars and stuff, they, they give them free health care. So that's probably the only, I don't know, maybe there's another place somewhere in America that does that, but you know, we don't really have that here. So that's a big deal. And then they, like, they send out people to deliver food, like, to all these really poor musicians like every day like they bring them like box lunches and things so it's, it's a great service it's been around for a while um and and you know that's kind of like yeah so i'm actually helping out a little bit and get get my closet cleaned out and, you know, <laughs> anyways it's, yeah i rather i rather share the share the goodies than the hoard them you know well, it comes back to what I was saying at the start and what I said along the way, which is that you've got good energy, Sean, and you put out good energy into the world. And, um, yeah, that comes across in the book and from talking to you today. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for hanging out and coming on the show. And um, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, and I hope one day thanks, I can get out to New Orleans and you can give me all the hot spots. You and Davey can tell me exactly where to go. And, yeah, I'd love to, to hang out and have a drink with you at some point, maybe, in the in the new world oh, when, <laughs> when it's open definitely. again. We'll, we'll take you to the thing. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. you got to come down and check it out for sure. Um, well, thanks so much for all the nice words, and uh, I enjoyed the interview, and, um, and hopefully uh, we'll get to meet you in person one of these days. Hell yeah. Thanks, Sean. You take care. <laughs> all right. I, I'm definitely going to email you, you about a little uh, Famous Monsters care package as awesome. well. Awesome. I'll get on that. Okay. I'm just going to chat to Keith and then I'll email you later today. Thanks so much. Oh, please and say, I, I will please pass on your you. regards. I 100% will. Okay, and I'll, thank you. I'll mail you, back, I'll mail you back what he says. Great. All right. Thanks so much. Love Take it. Take care. Take care. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.